This is Software Defined Survival, where we talk to AVIT professionals and software developers to find out how to leverage software to reinvent ourselves and the way we do business. We listen to their stories and ask for advice and tactics on how to survive and thrive in a software-defined world. Today on Software Defined Survival. What we used to do used to be magic, right? We, nobody touched a screen 25 years ago. It, it was scary. We're living in this, this really boxed-in world of, of proprietary software, let's say. And what I was looking at is, is seeing what can we do to augment that? How can we stand apart from others? How can we use other programming languages to be able to make systems more powerful? I think that there needs to be more awareness for from the everyday AV programmer as to being able to explore these offerings and, and, and look beyond what got them to the point that they currently are at. Today's guest is probably least known for being one of my former employers. His AV career began by spending a few years working as a systems engineer for Crestron. Then he went on to found what was probably one of the first independent AV programming companies, Control Concepts. With over 21 years in business, Control Concepts is one of the longest running AV programming businesses out there. He is also host of AV Nation's A State of Control, and his name is Stephen Greenblatt. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, you, Patrick. Glad to be here. Is there anything about that introduction that uh, you'd like to correct or expand upon? That sounded great, and I, I appreciate all the uh, acknowledgement, and I, I feel like I'm just uh, a guy that's uh, trying to help the industry get better, and I uh, looked saw an opportunity to take what was done uh, for a manufacturer as an internal person, and and um, with a little bit of confidence from my dad and from others, uh, I, I went and uh, took the leap, but it's been a great adventure and I've, uh, I've enjoyed the flexibility of being able to explore what the future looks like from a control system programming and, and another uh, software development perspective. Yeah, you've uh, probably seen a lot over the past few decades on your own, but um, you mentioned that jump from working for Crestron and deciding to go off on your own. Could you, um, what was it that really motivated you to do that? What were you seeing in the industry? Uh, What kind of opportunities did you think were available? What was kind of going on in your mind at that time? The industry was a lot different then, I'll say. And and I I know that that, that's probably looked at as as an obvious statement, but um, Crestron was a much smaller company and, um, and it was the right time and the right place. I was young enough and there seemed to be a big need and a big demand for programming. And what I really did when I went off on my own is I wanted to be more relationship-based rather than just looking at trying to get projects done and trying to satisfy deadlines and trying to make sure that sales were happening, I, I looked at it as uh, on more of a personal level and, and thought that the, the, what we're doing can be done a little bit more individual where, where we can really get to know a client, we can develop solutions that are really geared toward their needs. 
and we could really focus on what it is that they want and do what we're doing at at a higher level. Um, you know, I kind of looked at it prior to almost like, like an assembly line. We had to get a lot of projects out the door in order to keep up with the demand. And I, and not that we don't have to work in a fast-paced world now, but what we can do now, I think, is really invest a lot more and be able to get more satisfaction, too, out of the work that we do. Uh, very, very interesting. So it sounds like you were way ahead of your time um, in in terms of user experience, right? That's all the buzzword lately, especially with Infocom changing its name. And uh, I think that's really what you're talking about is instead of just turning a projector on and off, really focusing on what the users need. Absolutely. User experience. And, and it's funny because things like this a lot of times come up and you don't really realize them at the time. <laughs> and, and then you look back and you say, you know what, we've been doing this for a long time. Um, but, but it was also the relationships with all the players involved. So um, only until recently, and, and this is kind of a shame, but only over the last maybe, I don't know, 10 years, we've really engaged a lot more with, with the uh, clients. And the clients didn't really understand or, or get to be able to have that direct relationship with 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 a programmer we were always kind of behind the scenes and so the relationships that we were developing back then were more with the integrators and then maybe with consultants and and now with manufacturers but the integrators we embraced us because we helped to fill the void that they needed in order to be able to complete the 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 puzzle and or and and provide that solution so we were helping them strengthen their resources and their offerings and then it took a while, honestly, for the clients, the end users, to be able to identify with us and to know that the work, the end product that they were seeing, part of that contribution came from a programmer and, and somebody who they uh, could have been engaging with directly. And it, it's, um, it's kind of interesting. Absolutely. You touched on a few things there that I want to circle back to. Um, Sometimes I wonder, it's, it's, sometimes it's obvious how AV projects, how they flow, how they actually happen. Like, where do projects come from? Um, there's a customer, there's a bid spec, it goes out to bid, an integrator gets it, and then maybe a, a programmer gets involved at some point along the way. But there are also other times where integrators have a direct relationship with end users. And that's like you were kind of saying, that's not really common that a, a software developer or a programmer would have that kind of a relationship. Um, when, uh, did you start to kind of see that change? Is there any kind of catalyst that happened, um, that kind of made end users more aware or maybe a particular vertical where that awareness happens as opposed to another one? If you could just talk a little bit about that, you know, direct contact with end users and, and anything you see about like what made that happen. Well, it started with, with, with having some advocates and, and having, whether they were a uh, somebody who uh, w was just a fan, <laughs> or or so, or or was a partner, or was a uh, an integrator who hired us, or a consultant who who saw the type of work that we did, they they needed to elevate our role within the project. They needed they it, it, we we 
have to give some of the credit to them for being able to identify the importance that we could play for the client and and bringing us to the table and and getting the clients to understand who we were um, that that was the starting point of it um, I think the other shift was a, as more and more systems became uh, mainstream and became part of the the landscape of of the client's organization and 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 the their importance was elevated and and the the reliance upon them was so important they realized that they needed to have consistency and consistency from room to room. And, and a lot of that comes with being able to rely on a programmer or a software developer to, to provide that solution and, and be, be that glue that takes you from project to project and helps to maintain your standards and helps to be able to be the one that, that guides them to maintaining the consistency. It's very easy to say you want to be st- have standardization, but it, it takes a lot of discipline to, to really actually do it. And I think that once the systems grew in such a large number, it was critical that that standardization was there. And, and clients also, the end users' clients, I know I'm interchanging words, but they they have to work with different parties. They you know whether it's based on location or based on cost or, or just based on bandwidth. They have to work with different integrators and having a programmer to kind of to to be the bridge from integrator to integrator or project to project was very helpful for them to maintain that standard. So I think that that's really where the turning point was. That's uh that's pretty interesting. So advocates. The people who were planning the projects, uh, realizing the importance of the software, and also how the uh, the end users started to realize that they needed these standards. There's there's kind of a synergy there of of the consultants really um, seeing your value and the end users as the systems grew larger. Did that have anything to do with? Um, I guess it, it's kind of how once the iPhone came out. Right. And everybody kind of knew what we did. We no longer just fixed TVs. It was like people understood that we rooted AV uh, signals from here to there. Was there anything else you saw in that kind of collaboration space that that made it happen, like huddle rooms or an advance in video conferencing or anything like that? Uh, I think uh, the easy one to point to would say putting the systems on the network. Um, Okay. You know, being able to say that you you had all of these systems at your fingertips and they were now kind of interconnected uh, rather than having a lot of one-offs. That that may have also been the in, another part where we it really the light bulb started to go off to say that we're we're now looking at this as uh, from a holistic standpoint rather than this unique high-end boardroom. We we have a a lot of systems that have different uh, levels of complexity, different levels of capability, but the experience needs to be very similar and the user shouldn't have to go and learn how a system works for when they're going from room to room. They should be able to feel comfortable. And in education, I think, was where that was first adopted because professors need to walk into a room and be comfortable and they're not going to necessarily teach in the same lecture hall or classroom uh, 
on a, a either daily basis or even uh, you know from semester to semester. So they shouldn't have to go relearn this. They they should be able to say we you know we we've we. I could walk into any room and feel comfortable teaching or presenting there. Yeah. The, uh, the university space really seems to be um, one of the more educated verticals in AV. They, they, they kind of understand the most about what we do. I'd like to shift gears for a minute here and, and talk a little more about the business, about independent programming as a business. You've been doing it for a really long time. Um, if you had to pick just a few things, that uh, you would attribute to your, your success and longevity to, what would they be? At customer service is very important, obviously, and, and I think that that holds true in every business. Uh, we're, we're also very protective of making sure that we maintain a, a solid reputation and we, and we do right by people. And, and, uh, and sometimes that means that we have to sacrifice things and sometimes we have to go above and beyond at our own cost to make that happen. And, and that, that's something that I've always kept in mind. I, I think another one that has bubbled up for me, and it took me a while to realize this, was transparency. You have to be honest with people. You have to be able to tell them the good news and bad news. You have to be able to tell them when something is going to work and when something's not going to work. You have to t- tell them when you're not ready uh, and you need more time to get something done, even if they don't want to hear that. Um, I think all of those are, are, are very critical in being able to to maintain success and and build trust, because really what it's about. And and I I'm sure that I'm, I'm repeating some of the obvious, but but people do business with people, and and what we do is provide technology, and what we do as a byproduct of that relationship is, is develop software and, and do AV implementation, but it's the relationship and, and knowing that we have each other's back and knowing that, that we can be there to stand behind our work and, and be behind what we say we're going to do is, is really what's critical. Yeah. Yeah. You do need to be reliable. So, um, you mentioned the transparency part, which I get completely, but, uh, personally, I, I find it hard sometimes to get people to understand. Like when we say we need these four things to do our job, or this time frame is ridiculous. We are going to be late if we try to stick to this. I have a really hard time having those conversations. Do you, do you have any tips for me about how to communicate these things better? Uh, it, it is tough. It, it is tough because nobody wants to hear bad news. Um, I think that being able to, well, well, one is it depends if it's a new relationship or an old relationship. Because if it's an old relationship, I think that there will be some give and take and and there will be some some trust in knowing that when you really say that it's the truth rather than having the buffer and the padding in because uh, a lot of times what i found in newer relationships you start off based on what you know and what you've experienced in the past and many times it's unfortunate but clients have bad experiences and that may be why they're making a change so they have to protect themselves. So they build in extra time, they build in extra 
um, contingencies and, and they want to make sure that this goes well and, and they, they don't necessarily trust you when you tell them they, you know, the, the information that you're, you're sharing because they're skeptical. Um, but when it's a, when it's a existing relationship, I think that there needs to be, uh, you, you, if you point back to maybe a past experience where you've worked with somebody or, or you really map it out with them. Um, one of the things that I tell people is that you, I know that we want to make this deadline for a client and we know we, we have this project now. Okay. Let, let's talk about what it's going to take to get there because it's not totally in my control and I can commit to doing this for you, but I can't control the information that I need or the responses I need or the approvals that I need and the time that it takes to get them. So yes, we, we want to commit to this time frame for you, but we have to understand that it, everybody has to take part in making that happen. And, um, I, I I don't know if that's really answering, the, providing you know, the 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 a true answer that's going to to be able to resolve these types of conversations. But at least it's helping to I think ease the situation and make people realize that uh, they they can't just put all the onus on somebody else to to make a deadline. Yeah, it's the programmer's fault. <laughs> that never happens. Uh, so um. Maybe could you describe your ideal customer or the project flow that that best works as a programmer? Um, the the way to to really approach a project, I think, most successfully is, is to take the time up front to to really outline what it, what those expectations are to 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 get the information and be able to almost come up I, I think one of the things that AV unfortunately loses that is a lot more prominent in just traditional software development is the time it takes to really define a good spec and a good scope and and you know the research and, as to what it is that we're going to develop and and all the use cases and all of the personas and and that those are all things that go into software development and a lot of times that that's totally glossed over in in AV. So if we were to be able to take time to really sit down and and define what the client needs and who's going to use the system and how they're going to use the system, have that documented and signed off and approved, the programming is the easy part after that. Yeah. And 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 that and and a lot of times we we compromise all of the hard work that goes in up front. And then we were wondering why the project didn't go well. So it, it, I think proper planning and documentation and being able to, to really explore all of the, the what ifs and, and make sure that everybody is in agreement as to what we're planning to do usually results in a much better outcome. Yeah. Um, I see this more and more, the deeper I get into real programming, how much, how important it is to really document everything. Of course you have to do it anyway, but, and, and having that conversation of course is uh is the great first step. But um, what do you do when you meet some resistance on that? Uh, there, there are of course great integrators out there. Everybody has great intentions, but time is always precious, right? There's never enough of it. And it's really easy just to skip that step because you're a smart guy. You could figure it out. So 
We'll never skip the step of coming up with what we call a control specification, which is some type of a document that says this is what we plan to do. Anytime that we've had to sacrifice that and it's been really only a handful, those projects never go well. And that step in our process is so critical because it forces us to think through all the details of the project. It forces us to be able to explain and present what we plan to do. And then it forces the, all the parties involved to be able to take the time and, and review it and, and, be able, and, and have the opportunity to provide feedback. Hopefully they provide an approval. And sometimes it opens the doors to a lot of conversation. Um, but to answer your question a little bit more about when you, when you, uh, are met with resistance, I think that what we need to fall back to then is to be able to, um, make some assumptions, say, based on my experience, this is what I've done in the past and, and, and start going down that road. When we start with a blank slate that usually makes it a lot more difficult to really get to the outcome that we're going to. You kind of have to steer the client. You have to, you have to kind of show the, give them options that are all options that you are, are comfortable with them picking rather than give them options that could lead to additional time or effort or complexity. And that's mm-hmm. unfortunate, you know, because it, but that, that's, that's a one way of being able to, to, uh, handle the situations where you're met with resistance. I like that. Limit the options or, you know, at least, uh, suggest the options that, that, you know, will lead to a good outcome. Um, the, the control spec you were talking about, when, when does that happen typically in the project flow before or after a, a contract is rewarded? Just out of curiosity. We'd love to say before, but it's, but it's after in our process. And, and that, that's one of the, what one of the shortcomings or one of the the um uh the, the sad parts about what we do you know a lot of times what we would love to do is be able to get paid to develop that and and then say we're going to give our price based on that but many times what we have to do is we have to to put out a proposal that we use our best assessment of what we ex- think the client's looking for is based on the questions we can ask in a pre in a sales phase. And then what we do is put together that specification uh, once we're awarded the project and, and we're actually getting into it and it, it's a tool for both parties. So it, so it does have some value even for programmers to be able to ensure that when they actually sit down to do something that, that they can do it, once they can do it accurately and also there are are no obstacles hopefully preventing them from being successful yeah you're almost guaranteeing your own success by taking that step and um going back again soft it's a normal process in software development it's it's consulting comes first right to figure out what is it that we need to do um unfortunately here in germany you see you see specifications or or uh Ausschreibung, it's called. It's a bid spec, and it'll say programming uh, as the customer wishes, <laughs> right? And so basically, well, what do you do? All you could do is make a quote based on a list of of black boxes. It's it's a it's a real challenge, and um, I think it's one of the places where AV can do a lot better and, and adopt some more software uh, standards. The, the only thing I'll add to that that I would that that might be helpful for a client is to 
look at extending that relationship with, with the programmer after the project's done so that they can get that personalization and what we call user preference changes. I think that that's an interesting part of being able to have a relationship with a programmer to be able to continue to grow with them beyond the completion of the initial project. And they, this way they, they don't feel stuck when they have this and say, oh, I really wish that it worked a little bit differently or I, I, it would be so much better if I had this function or these buttons were placed differently and, and they, it could all be done. It's just a matter of having that relationship with a programmer. Right. So, so how do you go about navigating that transition from maybe the integrator being your customer to their end user becoming your customer? I would first start by offering that follow-up, the user preference follow-up and, and put that as a, either an option or, or as a, a, in your base price and say, mention the fact that we all know that when systems get in, they, they require some break-in time. So wouldn't it be helpful to be able to have this catch uh, so that the client can feel more comfortable knowing that we're going to be able to, they're going to come up with a list of, of um, modifications and, and adjustments, and, and we're going to address that list for them within reason in, say, 30, 45, 60 days, whatever that might be, whatever it, it works best. And, and I think it, it's a great way of making the client feel more comfortable too, that they don't have to think of everything up front. So it might be a great selling option too for the integrator. And then because at that point, the, there's no more installation typically involved. It, it really may just be a matter of the project manager, the programmer and the client getting together to figure out w what those adjustments are, are and, and there may be an option after that of being able to have maybe a maintenance agreement or some type of a support structure to be able to continue to do those changes uh, as they come up. Excellent. So I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of a theme in, in the advice you're giving me, and it, uh, I'm going to boil it down to playing the long game. I, 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 yes, that's true. It, it's not about, not, not about getting quick wins in, in, in what we do. It's, it's more about really building trust and, and relationships and really getting a client on board with you and knowing that they're, you're going to, they're going to grow by having you on their team. Yeah, great stuff. So uh, what changes are you seeing in the industry? What, what is, uh, what's on your radar? I think that we're all seeing a shift in moving away from as much hardware. And I think that that, that should be fairly evident there. There's a, also a big impact of consumerization, as I call it, in the industry, where expectations are now being set from people using technology in their daily life and being able to go to an, an electronic store online and do, do it, having all those DIY solutions and tinkering. And what we used to do used to be magic, right? We, nobody touched a screen 25 years ago. It, it was scary. Now everybody is, that, that's, that's all they know how to do. In fact, I think you know, they talk about little kids walking up to a TV and trying to swipe, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, well, the expectations are being set now well before they're seeing 
what is being provided on a professional level and, and what is being uh, the, these communication systems that are, that, that are uh, mature and enterprise grade. Um, but that's not to say that the expectations are, aren't influencing what we're doing because they are. They, you, know, it, it, you hear all the time, it just works. And, you, and why is this so complicated? And what, it, why, why is this cost so much? And, and it, it's, it's really playing a big part in what we're doing. And in fact, and, and this is the part that I, I don't quite understand, but I'm even seeing systems that are, you know, years ago, we, we went from having remotes to having a control system. And now we're almost going back the opposite where you see systems in a project where they say, ah, oh, we didn't need a control in this. We just used the remote. <laughs> like, aren't we yeah. going to, you know, we're going backwards now. How is that any easier? Yeah, I, I wonder about those systems. <clears throat> Excuse me. If it's just to save money, I think that it, it's the wrong solution because you can provide very cheap control nowadays. But uh, if they're looking for simplicity, even that, I mean, the, the, the remotes that are delivered with a video projector, for example, you, you need one or two of those buttons. And, and oh, that, God, they're a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, and I would, I wouldn't, I would argue that it, that it isn't cost. It's just that they're not getting the right solution. Sounds like some opportunity there. I would say, yeah. So, uh, what kind of steps are you or your company taking to kind of prepare for this change? I mean, it's already happening. Uh, maybe you've taken some steps already to, um, to be able to provide solutions that are more familiar to, uh, to consumer solutions. So, so about seven years ago, we had a key hire that came on board, and and at the time, it, it was a little bit of a risk. It was a little bit of future thinking and and visionary thinking. But the thought was at the time, and 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 he's uh, has a software development background. And the thought at the time was, we're, we're living in this this really boxed in world of of proprietary software, let's say, and, and it, it, Hey, it does the job and it's working. And, and I wasn't going to complain. It, it was what we do, but what I was looking at is, is seeing what can we do to augment that? How can we stand apart from others? How can we use other programming languages and the power of, of just it, which was, you know, probably not as maturely, um, converged as it is now, uh, to be able to, make systems more powerful and, and be able to, to maybe address these needs that clients have that they don't even, that nobody even knows how to solve. So that's one of the steps that we took. And, and we've, we've really gone down that path for a number of years. And in the first couple of years, you know, we we're just getting our feet wet, but, but now we've started to get known for doing more software development and more, uh, less reliant on projects and and more uh, of a of, of an innovator in terms of being able to provide unique solutions. So, for Can example, you give me an example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what we talk about a lot is middleware, um, and and middleware has a lot of different terms. But but you know, a good example of middleware is being able to take it an AV system and take some software or system that's external and write a translator, let's call it, that makes the two talk together. So it may be 
exchanging authentication information. It may be exchanging scheduling detail. It may be for connecting with building controls. There's so many different ways of being able to provide that solution. And, and now what we do, what we do there can be sold either as a product to be, to, to, to solve that particular need, or it can be used to implement a bigger solution. And we could be involved in that solution, or we could just be providing that one piece so that others can then construct the solution. Very interesting. Um, you mentioned a, a bunch of things that really aren't AV, but we deal with all the time, like integrating with calendars, uh, maybe a directory and, and dealing with that kind of authentication. Um, is, is the, should we be doing everything? Do we need to choose? Do you, do you see a space to do you know normal AV routing and user interfaces and also provide these kinds of integrations or... Is it um, really necessary like you did is to, to hire somebody who, who really does specialize in that sort of thing? I think that there needs to be more awareness for from the everyday AV programmer as to being able to explore these offerings and, and, and look beyond what got them to the point that they currently are at. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's for everybody because it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world. And quite honestly, I started off being a programmer and have moved on to, to doing more uh, business related roles. Uh, But I don't know if I would be able to make that jump very easily without really investing in myself and taking the time to go there. But, but I think that the future of AV programming needs to consider the fact that, we have these these other powerful languages and tools at our disposal. And in order for us to overcome the idea that we're going to go back to just using the remote, we have to be able to be providing more solutions that clients will value. And I think that they're very willing to pay for them, but they have to have a they have to solve an, a need and they have to address a pain point or they have to save a client money or they, you know, they're, Once you can demonstrate those things, I don't think that we're going to be limited by cost. Fascinating. I I love the sentiment. Where I have a lot of trouble is is getting the real feedback, right? Because there are plenty of ideas and software opens up so many doors and uh, anything really is possible, but but really figuring out what is useful to a particular um, market, I find that to be really challenging. I, I don't disagree, yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think that this is why we do podcasts, and this is why we do um, develop content, and and you know, it, it, it. I give you a ton of credit for the things that you're doing, and and I think that you're very much in the minority, unfortunately. But we have to market ourselves. We have yeah. we have to put ourselves out there. We we can't be insulated anymore. We and and it's a challenge, and and I I've. I wish that I could do more marketing than I've been doing, and and maybe that's not the right term, but but there you have you have to be going going out and and getting FaceTime with people. You have to be going out and and letting people know what is capable, what 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 you could provide, and and also listening. I think that that's key too. Um, not enough people 
listen to truly what the client's asking for. Instead, they just try to hit them with a solution that they know that they've done in the past and they, they try to place it with, with this client now. And, and, uh, and, and that's one of the other changes that, that's been, certainly been happening in the industry. But, but as far as getting feedback, I think that we have to put ourselves out there and we have to be able to find where the audience is. And clients are becoming a lot more involved and invested in this industry. And, and quite honestly, um, they, they have a lot of strength right now. They, they've hired a lot more of people from the industry internally. They want to do their own types of systems, uh, provide their own services, have their own upkeep. And they, you need to really show them that what you're bringing to the table is something that they either don't have or they can't do themselves. Yeah. Do, do they speak the same language? Like, do they even call it AV? Well, it depends on on who you're talking with and and where they're coming from. If it's if they've developed this by hiring people from within the industry, then they still probably call it AV. But if they've built it organically, then it's probably stemmed from IT, and we have to adjust to what that IT mindset is too, and 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 that's driving some things as well. Um, and 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 I think. There's just there's been more talk about um, software as a service and coming up with with um, more IT centric solutions and and, and uh, I I need to also get more educated on how we find our place with within the IT world and and understand the the language that they speak and I try to learn it more and more every day. Yeah, that's that's kind of what this podcast is all about. And uh, thank you for the compliments earlier, by the way. The reason I started it, it's, it's yeah, I guess you could call it marketing, but really it's, it's just trying to get the conversation started and uh, talk to people who are smarter than me that have some thoughts on this just to kind of, I don't know, shed the light on, on the many, many possible directions this, this whole thing could play out. And we're, we're building community and, and trying to engage with people. And uh, one of the things that I've learned too is that you have to put yourself out there, but you also have to give away free knowledge in order to draw people into you. Absolutely. Steve, thank you so much for being on the show. If uh, anybody would like to get in touch with you, how, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you could visit our website, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. Um, I'm on a bunch of social media platforms at Steve Greenblatt. And as you mentioned at the top, uh, I am proud to be the host of Estate of Control, which is on AV Nation. And I'd love to be able to share some more of these types of conversations with the audience. And you've been on multiple times and been a very valued guest with a very uh important perspective on things. And uh, that, that's just a, a fun and uh, w- an engaging part of what I do. And I feel like it's just one way of contributing to the industry and, and also growing as a professional. Absolutely. It's always fun to be on a state of control, but I have to admit it's a lot more uh, stress-free being on this side of the microphone. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Asking the questions. <laughs> All right, Steve. Take care. Good talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, Patrick here again. 
Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, if you liked what you've heard, if you want to hear more discussions like this, please go to iTunes, leave a review, subscribe to the show, send me a comment, get in touch with me somehow, and let me know that you're out there listening, and that'll motivate me to keep doing these shows and get more great guests on. So if you're driving or whatever, ask Siri to set something in your calendar to give you a reminder to go to iTunes and leave a review. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. For transcripts and show notes, go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com.